She's passionate about the truth of God's word and will tell you like it is. Autumn Miles is best-selling author of three books, popular speaker, CEO, wife of 17 years, and mom of four kids, and not to mention, everybody's best friend. With fresh biblical insight, she dares you to step out in raw faith. guys it is your girl autumn miles happy easter to you happy holy week to you this is my favorite week ever absolutely ever i love this week every single year and i just want to tell you something very special you are listening to this at least it it is it will be released on the day april 12th that I received Christ as my savior. And it is a very, very special day, obviously to me. This is a week to celebrate what Jesus Christ did for us. And y'all, we are gonna talk all about it after the break. I have a super special message, a word that I just, I, I myself have been, just chewing on myself. You know, I, I, I preach nothing. I speak nothing unless the Lord has given it to me to change me. I think it's funny. We, we want the the word of God to change everybody else, (laughs) but I really do sit with these messages that God has given me. And I have sat with this one and guys, it has wrecked me. I'm still, as a matter of fact, I kind of feel like I'm sharing prematurely, but we are recording today. So it is time, (laughs) whether I like it or not. Um, I'd like to sit with it a few more days. I probably will sit with it for weeks to come, but I am super excited to share with you my Easter message um, this year after the break. What is going on in my life? Well, it's Easter week. And I just want to talk to you a little bit about what is going on with the outfits in my family at Easter. Okay. Um, there are six of us like y'all didn't know that there are six of us. This is happening currently. It has been a process, but it is kind of mandated by me, myself and I, and I kind of feel like God, (laughs) except it's not mandated by God, just me every year for, let's see, Eddie and I have, are about to celebrate 18 years, you know, 18 years, we all get an Easter outfit every single year. I, I, it's a tradition that is carried on from generations before my great, 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 you know, ancestors all got Easter outfits. So we're going to do it too. And we're going to carry on the tradition. My Easter outfits growing up were crazy. Okay. I, I like my mom, my mom sewed a lot. She, she was really good at sewing. I don't know how she did that. I could barely sew a button on a shirt. I mean, I can get by, but you know what I mean? Like she like sewed like dresses, like, like dresses with crinolines and like stuff underneath them to make them poof out. Like my mom was like, I I don't even know how she did that stuff. So in the vein of that, she made our Easter dresses every year. I had bonnets, like I couldn't even fit through doors sometimes with these hats that my mom would put on my head to wear to Easter for one Sunday. They were beautiful hats, but I just, you know, some of the stuff I'm like, oh my goodness gracious. And of course me and my sister, 
who is older than me, um, always wore the same thing. So we matched until we were about like 11 and we were like, we don't want to match anymore because that's really dorky. And then we stopped matching, but I like my family to match. (laughs) It's funny how that works. So I have been on the hunt for Easter outfits for a really long time. And you know, buying six people Easter outfits is like a thing. Okay. I always get Grace's first because she's the easiest because she's like, you know, she's, she's easy to fit. She's, she's like gorgeous. Everything goes on. Haven is right there with her because I want them to go, not match. I want them to go, not match. Okay. We don't do matchy, matchy, matchy like my mom did, but we do tip our hat to that generation and we go, we don't match. Okay. So Haven and Grace are so easy to pick out Easter outfits for. My son's I don't know what they're trying to do to me over here. My sons are so hard to pick out stuff for. Moses is still at that age where I'm like, here's this. You're going to wear it. It's cute. You'll like it. Jude, he is 13 years old and, you know, he's got all the feelings. In the last month or two, he has drastically changed his clothing attire, okay? So I've gone to the store for him and I will like FaceTime him at the store. Like, what do you think this goes with what Moses is wearing? It doesn't match. It goes. I think it's cool. And he texts me back. I hate it. (laughs) Mama. He calls me mama when he's trying to make a point. Like not mom. He says mama. Like I know when they say mama, they're like, mom, please just listen to what I say. And that's what he has texted me back multiple times. Mama, 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 are you seriously want going to make me wear that? And I'm like, no, because I really do want him to wear it and not feel like I want him to feel good, you know? So I finally go to, you know, the high, high class clothing store of Target. <laughs> and I'm like, this is the last store we're going to. You are picking clothes. I love Target clothes. I have, I've got all sorts of Target clothes. And so we rummage through the racks, which I think Target has great. They have great buyers at Target. Like, let's just be honest. We all love a good Target shopping spree. We uh, rummage through all the racks. He is telling me, no, I'm picking up the cutest outfit, like cute. Okay. The coolest outfits and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, believe it or not, people have told me that I dress well. So when he tells me he hates it, I'm slightly offended by this because I'm like, wait a minute. This is something I thought I actually could do. (laughs) Finally, I want to tell you what we landed on. We landed on, let me just drum roll, please. We don't have a drum roll, but just pretend in your head. We landed on for my teenage son who has all the feelings and all the opinions and all the mouthiness right now. We landed on, you're never going to guess what he decided to put on his body that we compromised on. One $6 white t-shirt. I know it's, it's really discouraging. And then I said, okay, we'll do the white. Cause he hated everything else I picked up. Now we need pants. We need pants. Guess what we compromised on because I won't let him wear jeans to Easter. I'm just not doing it. It's the old school, you know, it's the old school in me. I am not doing it. It didn't stop him from asking. I said no to the jeans 40 times. So we'd settled on a white $6 t-shirt, 
<laughs> and a khaki pair of joggers. And that's what he's wearing on Easter Sunday morning. And I put the clothes in my car and I looked at him and I was like, this really didn't have to be that hard. And he looked at me and he gave me a hug and he said, I love you, mama. And I was like, okay, I love you too. This is fine. And so we rolled out of Target together. I got home and my husband said, did you buy me anything? <laughs> I said, nope, you're a grown man. You're on your own. I take care of everybody else. Anyway, that is what's happening in my life. That is what's happening in my world. Don't go anywhere, fam. Don't go anywhere, guys. Because after the break, we are going to talk all about our Savior, Jesus Christ. I cannot wait to share. We'll be back with more from Autumn right after this. Are you looking for a passionate speaker for your next conference, church function, or fundraiser? Autumn Miles is the right fit for you. As the founder of the Autumn Miles Ministry, a live event ministry, Autumn has not only spoken at events around the country, she has planned and directed them. Autumn is a survivor of domestic abuse, and she is passionate about educating the church on how to effectively assist victims. Her message of hope and healing has been shared on the big stage internationally. Autumn is devoted to spiritually challenging people to draw closer to God. She is a passionate advocate for the word of God, women, domestic violence victims, and adoption. To find out how you can book Autumn for your next speaking engagement, go to autumnmiles.com. Once you're there, just search the top of the index for the Invite Autumn tab, Click on it and scroll down for more information. Once again, that's autumnmiles.com. And now back to the Autumn Miles Show. Here's your host, Autumn Miles. Okay, guys, welcome back. I'm I'm a little shaky about this message for some reason. I don't really know why. I just, I, I'm so in awe of what our Savior did for us and what this week represented. I told you before the break, you know, I got saved on April 12th and years and years and years ago. And my life has never been the same. And let me tell you something. I want nothing about that old life. I just do not want it. He radically changed my life. And it is the reason that I'm sitting here today. I have mulled over what I'm going to say for a long time and set in it and set with it. And I, I want to just kind of have a little bit of a conversation with you. I have a lot of scripture. I'm going to, I might just recite some of them so you guys don't glaze over and think where she even at. But this thought has hit me and it has been with me for a while now. And the thought of it, let me get to a scripture. This is my thought was submission on Jesus's part. This is going to be really deep, you guys. The mightiest thing he ever did was submission on Jesus's part. The mightiest thing that God ever did, was it? This is the thought that has been circling in my head for a while thinking all about submission. Now, submission in the Greek, that one of the Greek words is hupotasso, which means to willingly place yourself under. And I've been thinking about this in the Bible as a whole, okay? 
John 1 says this, you're familiar. I have read this to you multiple times, especially if you've listened. And this is a good springboard to where I'm going with this message. In the beginning was the word. We talked about this at Christmas time. And the word was with God and the word was God, John 1. He was with God in the beginning. All things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, John 1 14 says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I want to pay attention to this the latter part of this verse, and we saw his glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay. There's a couple foundational um, passages that I want to talk about, but I want to remind you that Jesus, according to John, was with God in the beginning. In the beginning, which is Genesis 1, we see the Godhead creating the world. Genesis 1 talks all about the creation of the world. This is what has stuck out to me for the last several days. When God did something so powerful, like creating the world, so mighty, like creating light, he did it with a word. He spoke and it happened. When he goes to create man, he does this in, in Genesis. He creates man out of the dust. This is after he creates everything in the earth. He then creates man to cultivate and to take care of the earth. That was that was Adam's job. And then he creates Eve from Adam's rib. We take a stroll through the scripture and we go through Abraham. We go through Isaac. We go through Jacob. We see Abraham and Sarah having a baby at an old age, which God appeared to Abraham and said, at this time next year, you'll have a son. And it was easy. We then see Joseph, which I talked about very recently, going and assuming the second in command in Egypt. You can refer back to that, that message from last week. God transported him to a very powerful place. And he created the very nation of Israel exactly the way he said he was going to do it through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph was a big piece of that. We stroll on into Exodus and what do we see? The bondage of Israel and them crying out for someone to come in and to save them. Well, God chose Moses. Moses goes before Pharaoh and what happens? Miracles. Water turns to blood, frogs everywhere, boils everywhere, cattle die all sorts of things. And it seems very easy to God. We move on through the pages of scripture and 
there's so many different miracles that we see happen just in the Old Testament alone. That's why I like to marry the two. All of these miracles in the Old Testament are done with little effort on God's part. Little effort whatsoever. As a matter of fact, when God literally delivered Israel to Jehoshaphat and a coalition of kings, he delivers the army to Israel. And through the prophet Elijah, he says this, this is but a slight thing in the eyes of the Lord telling all these kings that had come together to fight on behalf of Israel. Listen, what God did, the miraculous victory that he just gave you, that gave the Moabites into your hand was easy. It was simple for him. It's a slight thing. Another couple of words for that is trivial. This is a trivial thing. This is a light thing in the eyes of the Lord. Another translation is easy. We look at some of these situations and we think, oh my goodness gracious, this is the, uh, it's an impossible situation. Creating human flesh from dust, that's impossible. You gonna do it? No, you're not because you don't know how. Parting a Red Sea for a million people, it's impossible. Who could do that? The might of the Godhead can do that. Walls crumbling in Jericho, who could do that? The might of the Godhead. Wars won by praise alone, who could do that? The might of the Trinity could do that. This is but a slight thing in the eyes of the Lord. At the end of the New Testament, I am moved. Um, yeah, the Old uh, excuse me, the, the Old Testament, the end of the Old Testament, there is a period of silence. Hundreds of years, 400 years-ish. Silence. There's no, not a lot of miracles. No one hears from God. We, we don't really see him moving much. And then in the beautiful pages of Matthew, we see the chronology of the birth of Christ. I want to take the rest of this and talk about that. But I want to go to Philippians first because I think it's absolutely important for us to be made aware of how much of a big deal it was for one piece of the Trinity, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to submit to God the Father and come down in flesh. I want to read this to you. Please don't go anywhere. It says in Philippians 2, Verse three, do not do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Having this attitude in yourself as that that was in Christ Jesus, who 
although he ex- he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he humbled himself, taking the form of a bond servant and being made, being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, submissive to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, verse 9 says, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians is telling us right here, passage of scripture is saying, listen, you cannot think of yourself, and this is why you can not, I know that's not proper English, think of yourself. And the reason is, is because Jesus humbled himself, being so submissive and so obedient to the point of death and so humble that the creator actually became the creation. Now, we believe that God was, Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. But for the God in, in Genesis to actually humble himself and submit himself for the glory of his father fascinates me. I submit to you today that this act of submission on Jesus's part was the mightiest thing he ever did. It was the hardest thing he ever did. It took more of him than anything else. We see him coming to fruition in Matthew. We see him as a baby. And then we don't see him until he's about 30. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? When we see him, when he is 30 years old, he comes out to full ministry. He's immediately tempted by Satan in the desert. And then he starts doing things when he comes out. He starts healing people. He starts calming the sea. He starts picking disciples. He does the most impossible things with ease. He's walking through Galilee. He's walking through the streets of the pages of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's healing the lepers. The blind are all of a sudden seen. The man with the weathered withered hand is withered no longer. The lepers literally are completely cleansed. The woman with the issue of blood has no more issue of blood. And what did she do? All she did was touch the hem of his garment. He made everything look so incredibly easy because he was God. And then there's a scene that is probably arguably, arguably with myself, one of the best passages of scripture ever. For the first time, 
in the entire Old and New Testament, we see Jesus do something hard. It's a struggle. It's hard for him. The submission, I'm sure, was hard enough in itself, but all of a sudden we see the physical aspects of the challenge at hand. We see a human Jesus who is struggling with the submission that was asked of him. And we know that from the text. Let me read it for you. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and he began to get, listen to this, he began to be grieved and distressed. Now, this is the Prince of Peace. We have not seen him struggle. We have not seen um, any of these attributes displayed through the pages of scripture. We have not seen him grieved. We have not seen him distressed. The most impossible of things he has done with ease. He sent a word. People were healed. He touched things. People were, everything was going everywhere. The wind, the waves, obeying him, everything. This is the first time we see that this might have been the mightiest thing he's ever done. He said to them, my soul, the humanity, is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Now, I actually wrote a whole chapter about the Gethsemane prayer and gangster prayer. It took me three months to write because I would pen a couple of sentences and weep. I'm not even kidding you. Like I'm on the verge of tears right now. I would weep for hours because the humanity and of Jesus is so real in this scene. You actually see the struggle. Now, was he 100% God? Yes. Please do not email me. I know he's 100% God. But the text says he was grieved. He said this, this is red letter. I am grieved to the point of death, which leads me to my original point. Was the submission of Jesus the mightiest thing he ever did? I would submit to you, yes. Grieve to the point of death is not, I'm having a bad day. Grieve to the point of death is not, oh man. I'm feeling discouraged, grieved to the point of death, which is what Jesus said, his words, not mine, is depression. It is a breakdown of sorts. I don't even, I don't even know words to say it, but it is the worst emotional place you could be to the point of death. He shares this with Peter, James, and John. He went, verse 39, a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, 
we know the mightiest thing he ever did was stay submitted to his father because he prayed this. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, submission, not as I will, but as your will. He came to his disciples, verse 40, found them sleeping and said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Verse 41, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. He's so mighty that he is keeping himself wrapped in flesh as something he created and helped create in Genesis from the dust. He is keeping himself submitted. He is keeping himself in a place of might because he is controlling what it seems as if he's asking God if he could not do. Mightiest thing that Jesus ever did was stay submitted for you and for me. My father, if this can't pass away unless I drink it, your will, not my will. We are in such a society of my will, my dream, my this, my, 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 my. Remember what Philippians 2 said. He humbled himself to the point of death. Again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time saying the same thing once more. He came to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand and the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Now, I want to walk you through a timeline of what happens on this day leading up to resurrection. Okay. Um, He goes. At that point, right after Gethsemane, we know he is struggling, grieved to the point of death. Okay, he is grieved. We know it is incredibly difficult for him, yet he stays submitted. It absolutely blows my mind that at any second he could call down angels and he chose not to do that, even though he was in charge of the angels. It blows my mind that he didn't, just like in those pages of the Old Testament, wipe out all bodies of people because he could. It blows my mind that through the intense and immense emotional pressure, he stayed submitted. It's the mightiest thing he ever did. Then this happens. Judas shows up and betrays him. He gets betrayed. Then this happens. Peter cuts off the dude's ear and he puts it back on. Then he goes before Caiaphas. Then let me, I wrote it all down for you guys. While he's before Caiaphas and he's asking him all sorts of questions, he keeps silent. He doesn't say one word. Submission. So submitted. He didn't even open his mouth and he was the God man. He then goes and tells Peter, you're going to deny me. And then Peter does deny him. Judas realizes what he does. And, um, you know, he decides to end his life. He then goes before Pilate. Pilate wants nothing to do with him. So he sends him to Herod. Herod wants nothing to do with him. So he sends him to Pilate. 
Pilate looks at him and he's like, what are you doing? I find no fault in this man. The wife of Pilate is, she cannot sleep at night. She is saying, please have nothing to do with this man. Pilate washes his hands of him. And he asks the crowd, Barabbas or Jesus? Barabbas, by the way, means this son of the father. Barabbas means son of the father. So when the people screamed, release to us Barabbas and crucified Jesus, Pilate released to them the son of the father and the father's son, Jesus, took his place. He is then mocked. He's got the crown of thorns. He's then taken to Calvary. On the ninth hour, the third hour, excuse me, at about 9 a.m. in the morning, they start the crucifixion. The first thing he says out of his mouth, he makes five statements on the cross. The first thing that he says, stained fully, fully submitted after being betrayed. Every single one of the disciples left him except John, who John was right there with Mary on the cross. And he actually makes reference to that on the cross. Peter, his homeboy, rejected him. Judas, gone. All the other disciples have fled for fear. Completely alone. Grieved. But submitted. Why did he do that? For you. For me. That's why he did it. So he's hanging on the cross. The first thing that he says, the very first thing is, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The next thing he says, and and events follow this, you guys. I'm just for time. He speaks to Mary and John, behold your mother, behold your son. The next thing he says, I talked about this last year, I thirst. I think it's very significant that he was thirsty, especially throwing it back to the woman at the well. The words are the exact same in the Greek. It's fascinating. If you want to study it for yourself, he says, I thirst. The next statement is, it is finished. The next statement is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And into your hands, I commit my spirit. The ninth hour, which is 3 p.m., the veil is torn from top to bottom, and he dies. Jesus is laid to rest in a man's tomb, excuse me, Joseph of Arimathea. A lot of different events happen. But Jesus, being the one who raised Lazarus from the dead, raised many, many people from the dead. Elijah used his power to raise people from the dead in the Old Testament. I mean, there were people that were raised from the dead. The man who was already, already stronger than death because he created life has to stay dead. The submission in death is just unbelievable to me. For three days and then Sunday morning. Now, after the Sabbath, uh, Matthew 28, now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave and behold, 
a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and set upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here for he has risen just as he said, come see where he lay. Go quickly, tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going ahead of you to Galilee and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. I am super moved by this every single year. Not only did he decide to die and stay dead, he actually allowed himself to be laid in a tomb, which is just so fascinating to me because he's the one that created the rock that the tomb was in. I look at the might of his submission to the will of the Father, and I'm convicted, moved, inspired, frustrated at myself, in love with Jesus all over again. Because he didn't have to. He chose to. The mightiest thing that Jesus ever did was stay submitted to his father. For what? Me and you. I know that when he went on that cross, he took on all the sins of everyone in the world. And that death was so we could be forgiven. Just like on the cross, he, he stood between two criminals. <laughs> two criminals. <laughs> they even had a conversation themselves and they said, we deserve to die. But this guy, what did he ever do wrong? He died to take on all of our sin so that we could be forgiven. And then he resurrected from the dead. And I just, I'm so moved by this. I'm like, just so moved at the might of his submission and the might of his surrender to God on the cross, especially looking throughout all of the rest of scripture and nothing else even, he didn't even bat an eye. The only time we even see him struggling is in Gethsemane, which tells me it was the hardest thing he ever did. And I just feel strongly that there are some of you out there You've been playing this Jesus game for a while. You've been on the fence. You've been like, I know God is real, but I don't like church. <laughs> I know God is real, but I don't even know. I, is all this stuff true? I don't know. Well, you know what? The Bible, as I've said before, says it, it is true. And we, we see the remnants of it. We see the signs of it. I know you might have questions, but I'm going to invite you just to pray right along with me about asking him to come into your life and to forgive you from everything that you've ever done wrong. Because 
Your sin needed a savior. And Jesus chose to submit and to obey his father to the point of death as a perfect, spotless person. The Bible tells us he never sinned. It was perfect. A perfect, spotless sacrifice for you. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It also says, for by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. Let me tell you this. If you don't know, if you are a believer and a Christian, you've asked the Lord to come into your heart. Jesus loves you so much that he stayed submitted through all of that and sacrificed himself for you. And I just want to give you this opportunity. I'm going to pray. Just pray right after me. It's There's nothing fancy about this prayer. It has nothing really to do with the prayer. It has to do with your heart posture. The Bible says, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou will be saved. I'm going to pray a prayer. If you want to pray it after me, that's great. If you want to pray it in your heart, I just want to give you on this Easter week, this holy week, an opportunity to ask the Lord and invite the Lord in to a full relationship with you for the first time. For those of you that are like, I did this when I was eight. And you just feel like you need to recommit, make a commitment. Now, once we, we are once saved, always saved people, okay? But there was a time when I got serious about Jesus. And I decided to recommit my life to Christ. I'm just going to pray and you can pray after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for the might of your obedience. Your obedience to the point of death for me. I realize that your submission and your obedience was to pay for my sin. I ask you to forgive me from everything I've done wrong. Come into my life. Take me to heaven when I die. I thank you for your sacrifice. And I believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If that was you, I believe you have Jesus with you right now. (laughs) You're probably feeling great. (laughs) I just want to tell you how much, how special this week is to me. We're not going to do anything else. I'm going to go ahead and round out the show. But I just want to tell you, he changed my life. And for those of you that have already made the commitment, you've been following along for for a long time, let today, let this week be a springboard to make some changes in your life if necessary, to discipline yourself if necessary in, in different areas of your life. If you have been following along for any period of time and you are a believer and you know Jesus and you love Jesus, make this week be that week that you 
go through this, the, the crucifixion and resurrection story and allow the Lord to restore the joy of your salvation back to you. Um, make commitments if you need to, you know, whatever the Lord is convicting your heart of, act on those things. This is just such a beautiful week to start fresh and anew, even though you may be walking, you may have been walking with Jesus for years. I love you guys so much. And I do say from the bottom of my heart, from my entire team, from my entire family, happy, 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 happy Easter. He is risen. Jesus is alive. We have reason to hope. I am so grateful for the sacrifice of my Savior. And I hope you guys would walk in that this whole week. I will catch you right back here next week for a brand new episode of The Autumn Show. Love you guys. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening to this edition of The Autumn Miles Show. To find out more, go to autumnmiles.com. There, you can book Autumn for your next speaking engagement. Her inspiring message will be sure to engage and touch the heart of your audience at your next conference, church event, or business function. While you're online, you can find out how to order Autumn's latest book, Gangster Prayer. Our prayer is that this book will lead you to an intentional and passionate prayer life that is in sync with the heart of God. Go to autumnmiles.com to order your copy today. As we close, remember that you can follow Autumn on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for Autumn Miles in your internet browser. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Be sure to join us next time for another edition of the Autumn Miles Show.